0: Colossians chapter 2, 8 through 23. And we plan to focus on verses 8, 9, and 10, sort of the other side of 6 and 7. And the verses 11 through 23 really focuses on how there were people who were trying to lead the Church of Plaza astray, lead them away from Christ? And there were Jews, for example, who were trying to introduce, bring them back to the Mosaic laws, uh, ceremonial laws. Um, there was the uh, also the the heresy of uh, worshiping angels, which was, is which is never, I mean, which is completely forbidden in Scripture. But there was the teaching that was going on there about that. But also um, the idea that you shouldn't touch certain foods or shouldn't eat certain foods. But we're not going to deal with that. We're just going to focus on 8, 9, and 10, which is really in some ways like a title of uh, verses 11 through 23. We'll read the whole thing. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. We hear God's word. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. "...buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by, by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God therefore if you if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world why as though living in the world in the world do you subject yourself to regulations do not touch do not taste do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So I'm going to read 8, 9, and 10 once more because that's our focus. Beware lest anyone cheat you Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power." congregation, we turn now to uh, verses 8 through 10, and that follow so closely on the heels of uh, verses 6 and 7. You can say it's the other side of the, of the coin. Uh, what's stated there positively in 6 and 7 is sort of stated negatively on the other side. So last Sunday, of course, we heard the call or the command to walk in Christ. Not just begin with Him, We can praise God for having received him, but it doesn't stop there. But there's that call to continue to walk in Christ. That means having been rooted in Christ, in his word, now we continue growing, being established. And then that spills over into a life of thanksgiving. Paul loves the congregation of Colossus dearly. It's made up of new believers. It's made up of uh, people who come out from the Jewish background. Very much of a mixed uh, multitude within the congregation. But now Paul says keep your eyes wide open, wide open as you continue walking in Christ. Be alert, be aware. And don't allow yourselves to be taken captive. Don't allow yourself to be plundered. That's another way of saying it. And the question is, how do we not allow ourselves to be, you could say, plundered and taken away from the full Christ? Right? From the full Christ in whom everything is, right? All the treasures of the riches and the knowledge of God are in Christ and that is valuable that's a treasure and apostle paul says two things here in verse 8 and 9 and 10 first thing he says be watchful of your enemy be watchful doesn't say be hate doesn't say hate him just be watchful and the second thing is be secure in christ so verse 8 be watchful and You know, in him you are complete. I mean, you talk about security, (laughs) everything in him. Um, And notice that the apostle Paul begins, he begins by saying in verse 8, he warns the church. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Sometimes it's hard to listen to warnings. Uh... We sometimes tune out, don't we? But we need to hear them again and again, don't we? We need to hear the warnings from God's word. There's many of them. But those warnings come because God loves us. You think about your children. Okay, if you live on a busy street or a busy highway, you warn them, don't get close to the highway. Why? Because you don't like them? Or because you don't trust them? No, it's because you love them, and you want to protect them. Paul loves the congregation. He had a real pastoral heart, and he warns them, beware. That word is a very strong command, beware. It's a command which literally means see to it. Be watchful. And it's in the present tense. Continue at all times. All the time, be watchful. Be watchful for one another. Be watchful for yourself. You don't want to see anyone of Christ's children or God's children sort of straying. Be watchful. Paul Paul here, doesn't just address the leaders of the church? He addresses every believer. It's a plural. Everyone in the church. He calls for a discerning attitude of every believer in the church of Plaza, Never say, leave it up to the experts. Believe in a society that says, oh, the experts know best. No, 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 no. Here, when it comes to the Bible, to believers, everyone is called to be an expert. And that, of course, means knowing our Bibles, knowing Christ, passing down that tradition to our children. Um, Think of the Church of Bria, you know the whole congregation. There, there were parents there, there were children there. Paul is preaching away. They're not just going to take his word for it. But what do you read in Acts seventeen eleven? They search the scriptures. In other words, they have their Bibles open every day to make sure that what Paul was saying is according to the Word of God. Yeah, it's uh, it's the calling of every believer. And that's why it's so important, right, to walk in Christ, to grow in him, to be established in him, in his word. Because this is a great help also for one another in the congregation. So, yeah, Paul gives a real serious warning here. Be continually vigilant, alert. Keep your spiritual radar. We talk about antenna, right? Antennas pick up things. They pick up smells. They pick up sounds. But God in Christ is also giving you a spiritual antenna to be on high alert. Think of an example. Uh, this goes way back, I believe it was in the year 2002. There was a jet, an airplane, full of passengers that crashed in Germany. Why was it? Because a radar, to- a radar tower was not properly guiding the air traffic. And because the radar was not doing his job, monitoring the air traffic, it crashed. Everyone perished. And so, yeah, it's a call to the entire church. Because sometimes an entire church can be swayed, can be led, can be led astray. Okay? Now, the call to beware does not mean we should be afraid. We shouldn't be scared. (laughs) Christ does not want us to be scaredy cats. He just wants us to be aware, to be alert, always on alert. But in the meantime, we must walk confidently in Christ. Because why? We have his word. We have his spirit. We have all the resources. It's there in scripture to be able to see, to be able to detect And be able to say, oh, watch out. Oh, be careful. And sometimes people will come in the name of Jesus saying false things. You can't call them Christians because they're using the name of Jesus to lead people astray. That's the kind of thing that was going on in Klasa. There were people in the congregation that were, were kind of leading them away from Christ. So, yeah, we should never underestimate the slick ways, the sneaky snake, right? Who's the sneaky snake? The serpent. He's crafty. Think of Genesis 3. Go right back to Genesis 3. Did God really say? You think that you know it? Well, we know more and they take you away from Scripture. Beware, lest anyone cheat you. A better translation would be Beware lest anyone take you captive. You know what a captive is, right? The army comes in, takes you, plunders you, robs you, and then takes you away. That's the the image there. Think of a war, wartime scenario where they plunder your house, take your family, take you away. That's That's the sense of the word here, captive. Here, of course, as carrying something away from the truth, away from Christ, into slavery, into bondage, the bondage of error. How? Paul says, through philosophy and empty deceit. Now we have to be really careful here. Paul is not opposed to philosophy, because philosophy literally means love of wisdom. And a philosophy according to Christ. It's beautiful. It's full. It's rich. It's the only true philosophy, right, which undergirds all of life, all of thinking, right? He who thinks God's thoughts after him, right? That's the the true philosophy. So Paul's not opposed to philosophy, but what he's opposed to is hollow and deceptive philosophy. That's what he warns about. Um, What makes it What makes it so slick sometimes is that there are people sometimes who come in the name of Jesus and they'll preach Jesus, but they won't preach Jesus the bread of life. They'll say, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to get lots of money and you're going to get healthy. That's hollow. That's deceptive. That's not Christianity. That's that's cheating. That's robbing. People of the truth, that's in Christ. We have to be really clear about that. Very clear. You know, the prosperity gospel is not the gospel. It comes from Satan. It's not the truth. It's not real. It's cheating. It's taking, it's plundering the people of God. The love of wisdom. That that kind of love of wisdom It portends to be a grand house. Think of a beautiful house, right? All the beautiful outside. But inside, it's totally demolished. It promises everything. Oh, you believe in Jesus? No more suffering, no more pain. No, it promises much, and it gives nothing. And in place of the treasure of the wisdom and the knowledge that You already possess in Christ. This philosophy does what? What does it offer? The text says, verse 8, the tradition of men. It's only men. It's not the word of God. And the second thing, the basic principles of this world, and it's not according to Christ. that's, That's, of course, what Paul unfolds in verses 11 through 23, which we won't get into Right now, but but you think of tradition—the tradition of men. Tradition is not bad in itself. Um, think, for example, Christ by His Spirit, He passes on the Word of God through you to the next generation. That's a beautiful tradition. Christ working by His Spirit to ensure that His Church continues to continue from generation to generation—a a, a, a fortress in this world. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful tradition. It's full, it's rich, it's teaching. But hollow and deceptive philosophy, on the other hand, doesn't start with Christ or the fullness of Christ. What does it start with? Certainly it passes down ideas. It passes on philosophies. It passes on code of conduct often. But just traditions of men the other word, the other thinking here is the basic principles of the world. That's a little different. It could be translated here as the elemental spirits of the universe. These are things kind of like the powers, such as demons, or the gods of other religions. Okay? These gods exist, you could say, in the minds of other people. In a sense, they, they really believe that they exist. They worship them but they have no reality. Think of the goddess Diana, right? When the gospel came, you know, the preachers better be aware that this is going to cause a commotion because they believed in the reality of the god, goddess behind Diana. But that's the kind of, that's the sense here. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray by the elemental spirits of the universe. It's a tradition and those things. They're both of the world. Don't let anyone kidnap you and carry you off. Who likes to be kidnapped here? I don't think anybody does. And far worse is to be kidnapped from the truth of Christ. The hollow, deceptive philosophy, you know, that can be in different forms. Today than it was, let's say, in in Colossa. But, you know, the devil always likes to work in different ways. He never likes to work loudly. He likes to work softly. He likes to walk in slippers. And because he's sneaky. And so you look at some of the examples today. Um, Some who commit to Christ are being robbed and are being carried off to continue puja in the temples Hindu temples or in the Gurdwaras. It's not right. Whoever is leading astray, it's not right. It's displeasing to the Lord. Don't let anyone kidnap you and carry you off. That's a horrible thing to be brought into slavery. It's not according to Christ. If you look at 2 verse 18 of Colossians chapter 2, let no one cheat you. In other words, let no one disqualify you of your reward. What's that reward? Your salvation. Don't exchange bread for stones. People do that with riches in the West. They give up Christ for money. Bread for stones. Try eating stones once. I know our our kids did that when they were young. They would chew on gravel and say, "Now spit it out. It's not not good for you. But besides, it can't nourish you. Well, that's what happens, right? It it just becomes a load of stones. That's all it is. And it, it, it offers really no life. It's a form of slavery. Another thing. Many in the church today, sometimes even entire churches... Are being um, are being plundered and carried away by a philosophy that says love means accepting everything and every lifestyle. Is that what love means? Yeah. No, it does not mean accepting everything, because what that often means is then you endorse everything, right? And you accept every lifestyle under the sun because, oh, isn't that what loving your neighbor is all about? So the saying is then that means all religions are legitimate ways to God, all lifestyles are acceptable. And you know how the church is often painted then? The church that remains faithful to the Bible? Oh, you guys, you're kind of like bigots. They paint the church as kind of loveless. And sometimes they draw pictures with the church with horns on it. Watch out for them. Well, just recently, just this past week, I saw a picture. And this is from a so-called Christian. A Christian leader. With Christ on top of a cliff. Reaching down with his long arm. And then there was a A man or lady, I don't know, wrapped around with a pride flag. Homosexual. And it has Jesus saying, seriously, I promise you, you don't have to change. But then, if you don't have to change, what is Jesus saving us from? Then it's a dangerous lie. It's deceptive philosophy. It's empty. Don't let anyone kidnap you and carry you off. Like everyone else, homosexuals are also called to repent. Everyone else has to repent of their sins. So do homosexuals. We need to turn away from our sin. All of us are called to turn away from our sin and and turn to Christ. That's what it means That Christ loves us. He loves us so much. He doesn't want us to perish in our sin. But he calls us out of that sin. That's what true love is. One more example. You know, many in the church are losing the next generation. Their children to hollow and deceptive philosophy. And I can't help but think of Maybe you've heard of Vodi Bacham. Vodi Bacham. He's an internationally known speaker. And citing stats, he said that uh, evangelical Christians are losing somewhere between 70 to 88% of their children, losing them from Christ, okay? Losing 70 to 88% of their children at the end of their first year in college. That's a huge number, Why is that? He says, if we send our children to Caesar, to the public schools, if we send our children to Caesar for their education, we should not be surprised if they come home as Romans. It's not philosophy according to Christ. And imagine, he said an average of 14,000 hours from kindergarten to grade 12 are spent in the classroom. Compared to the average family that maybe spends 30 minutes a week just talking about spiritual things with their children, you can imagine that has a way of shaping, forming, diluting. You may getting tired of these warnings, but Paul warns here too. And we need to take note, we need to be alert. We can share the warnings. Christian education, you got Christian education, right? Hope Academy is one example, or Christian education at home is meant to train our children with a Christian worldview, a Christian way of looking at the world, and that's what Paul means by a philosophy according to Christ. And that touches on every aspect of reality, from politics to education to to family life, every aspect of reality. Ah, Don't be deluded. Don't be drawn away, Paul says to the Colossians. Now, Paul's not saying we should not understand false philosophies. (laughs) We should understand false philosophies. Think of a medical doctor. If a medical doctor only studies health, would you trust him as your doctor? Probably not. You want your doctor to know what diseases are all about. It's the same thing here. We don't say don't understand false philosophies. We need to understand them but from a Christian philosoph- philosophical point of view, from a Christian perspective. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is, Paul does not say, avoid hearing such things. doesn't say that here either. We should not live in isolation from the world around us. We should not live in isolation physically or socially. We live in the midst of the world. I like what one pastor says. He says Satan tries to put the world in the church. But God put the church in the world. So we live in the midst of the world. Paul's only point here is don't be taken captive. Don't be plundered. Don't be robbed. Don't let them just walk away with the treasures and the riches that you have in Christ. Don't let them just trample on it with their muddy boots and walk away. No, because then... You become slaves. That's why Apostle Paul said earlier <laughs> you walk in Christ. Continue to walk in Him, having been rooted in Him, growing in Him, established in Him, in the faith as, as you have been taught. Christ by His Spirit, you know, He uses the, the preaching of the Word on Sundays, the daily reading of the Bible at the table, uh, Christian education. That's a big one teaching of catechism that's the philosophy according to Christ the intent of Paul's warning for Colossians is not to make us afraid and run but to establish our position securely in Christ so that nobody can bulldoze over us <laughs> so that we know the Word of God and you stand and you stand firm Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Lift up his royal banner and must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. So Paul says, no, no, don't be afraid. But you you find your security not in the things of the world. Those things, those things will burn up anyway. But you find your security in Christ. He's Lord over all. And that's where he brings us in verses 9 and 10. And actually my 9 and 10 is shorter than the in the first point, but um, he says, you know, um, he's the one who secures forgiveness in eternal life because being God, he made the full payment. He paid the full price for our sins so that he can carry us to God. That's a different kind of carrying, isn't it? And that leads us to verses nine and 10. You know, in him you are complete. That's the That's the basis for security. In him, in Jesus, you are complete. Who is he? This Jesus in whom you are complete? Paul gives the reason. See the word for in verse 9? For. For leads us into the reason for a philosophy according to Christ. A worldview according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, or you say deity bodily. Notice that? All fullness. It's exclusive. It avoids everything else as the way to God. All fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know, if you're taken captive by ideas that take you away from Christ... What happens? You're being taken away from God. You're being taken away from God. This God who dwells, right? For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is the God who dwelt, where? On Mount Zion. This is the God who who dwelt among his people in the tabernacle. Remember the glory cloud? This is the God who dwelt among his people in the temple. And ultimately, this is the God who now dwells bodily. You could say in the flesh of Jesus Christ, the bodily, the body of Jesus Christ. The words in Him shows the uniqueness of Christ. He's not merely godlike. A lot of religions, Sikhism, Hinduism, Islam, they have a lot of godlike beings. Or people, but Christ is not merely godlike. He's God in his essence, in his nature, fully deity. All the fullness says that. It says all the fullness of the deity. (laughs) That's that's very, very, very big. It's very comprehensive. All, not some, not shared but all the fullness of the deity. All there is to deity is to be found in Christ Jesus. What a comfort. God's plan of salvation was fully met in this one, in Christ. Only he can accomplish it because he is God in the flesh. And he accomplished his work perfectly through his death and resurrection. Nothing of his work for your salvation remains incomplete. Paul refers to that a little earlier in Colossians 119. It says, Please the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. He has come among us in bodily form. Jesus, in the flesh, he died on a cross. In his body, he rose again in his body. He's sitting in heaven, in our flesh, in our body. In him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. He always has been God. He always will be God. He will never stop being God. Wow, complete, complete in him. That brings us to the, to the next part of verse 10, the first part of verse 10. And you are complete in him. Yeah, the one in whom God fully dwells, that's the one in whom we find our completeness. Another version has, and you have been filled in him. In him, what does that show? It shows the vital union, the relationship with Christ. He is our life. It's not only something future, this is now, this is reality. You are complete in him. And if you go to verses 11 through 14, just very briefly, it shows a believer's union with him through faith. We were circumcised with him, buried with him, raised with him, made alive with him. Life has been swallowed in death. Something your money can never do for you. Your money can never swallow death for you. There's only one who can swallow death. And that's Christ. Um, as believers, you know, Paul is saying to Colossa, this is your position. <laughs> Can you imagine? This is your, it's a very high position that you have in Christ, a very glorious position, complete in Him. Now you say, I don't feel that way. And true, practically, in our experiences, In our struggle with sin, in our temptations to sin, in our walk, there's so much more room to grow into that completeness. But it doesn't take away from the truth that your position is one of fully complete in Him. John 1 16. And of His fullness, what have we received? Grace for grace for grace. You know, when are we satisfied? We are satisfied when we truly find our home in God because that's how he made us. When we find our rest in God, and that's through Christ. We are; He's the one who truly satisfies every spiritual need in Christ alone, and that can never be found outside of Christ. Doesn't that... Make us evaluate our own lives, right? Where am I going to be satisfied? Only in Christ. And the thing is, He supplies, He fulfills every spiritual need. He satisfies every spiritual need. Are you suffering? Are you worried? Are you struggling with sin in a very powerful way? Are you finding yourself giving into sin? In him we find every, in him we find um, the answer to every spiritual need. He meets our every need for life, every need for godliness. The only thing is let us drink from Christ. Let us drink from Christ and not be led astray from the fountain of living waters. Because when we lead astray from the fountain of living waters, what do we drink from? Broken cisterns. I like what Lloyd Jones, Martin Lloyd Jones, he says it this way If a philosophy of life cannot help me die, it cannot help me live. If it cannot help me die, it cannot help me live. There's only one philosophy that can do that. That's the philosophy according to Christ. Sometime ago I had a man approach me and say to me, Huh, you're so proud. Why don't you consider other religions and continue in your search? I said, why would I do that? Christ found me. I have everything I need. I I have no need to look for something more outside of Christ. You can call me proud, but I am so thankful. And actually, I said to him, you know, the humble thing for you to do is to submit to Christ. That's the humble thing to do. And that's where you're going to find out that your search is over. No more searching. No more need for a flashlight because he's the light. Wow. Finally, okay, God in Christ, okay, we're complete in him. And the third thing is, boy, I can I can trust in him because he rules over all. That's verse 10. Who is the head of all principality and power. Head of the church, yes, but also head of the world in this way, in that he's supreme ruler and king and lord over all. Principality and power. That probably refers to those elemental spirits in verse 8, those powers. They may be the rival religions in the world. They may be rival political powers who challenge the kingship of Christ over this world. These movements will beckon their followers to follow them. Of whom Paul says, "Beware, lest you, lest anyone take you captive." <laughs> but you know, you look at verse fifteen. I think you can't look at verse ten, the last part, apart from verse fifteen, because it shows what Christ done to these powers. Having disarmed, he took away their weapons. He disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public display of them. Okay, they're naked. And he triumphed over them. That's why we we can have that security in Christ. We have his resources, his word, his Holy Spirit, not to be plundered, not to be deceived. Principalities and powers are in some ways like a wolf. I heard that illustration yesterday. They're kind of like a wolf. While its nature is still the same, it's lost all its teeth, right? It no, can no longer do anything to the believer in Christ. Our security is in him. The promise of forgiveness, eternal life, is for all who simply repent of their sin and turn to Christ alone for their salvation. That's where we find completeness. There we find everything that we need. And that's why we may say with the psalmist, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. We face a bright future in Christ. Amen.